0: As John said, my name is Kyle, I'm the lead pastor here at Generations Church, and I just want to formally welcome you to another one of our gatherings. We are four weeks into weekly public services, and it's been so exciting to see how God is cultivating together this community. And so specifically this morning, we are going to be looking at Colossians chapter 1 as John read 3 through 8. But first, uh, let me tell you a little bit about some of my experience. Back in 2011, I had the privilege of going to Kenya for three full months to dig wells. And that was an absolutely incredible experience. And it was one of the things that was really formative in my young Christian life. And so I went uh, with a group called Christian Missionary Fellowship International. And basically, they uh, me and another teammate were going to spend all summer out in what's called the bush the middle of nowhere, with an auger, and we were just going to dig some boreholes, and we were going to provide some water wells, and through these water wells, uh, communities would be able to plant gardens and start making crops, so that then they were using that as an opportunity to start new churches. Now, here's the reason I tell you all that, because that sounds, and it was absolutely amazing, but my first day... It didn't quite go as smooth as I had planned. So here's the picture, is I'm very raw, naive, 19 years old. I hop off the plane in Nairobi, Kenya, and I'm greeted by a guy who looks like a combination between Gene Gene Hackman and Crocodile Dundee, and his, (laughs) And so he, this combination guy, he's like, all right, we're going to hop on this other plane. And I'm like, okay, this is interesting. So we hop on a little 2 prop plane, and we fly for about another hour and a half. And we land on this dirt strip. And we go, and his this name is Gene Warden. Uh, he's a missionary in Turkana, Kenya, out in this bush area. And me and my teammate, we get to his house, and he says, all right, I've got an assignment. For the next hour, you're going to learn the local language, Turkana. And you're going to learn, hi, my name is Kyle. I am from America, nice to meet you. What is your name? So we practice that over and over. Hi, my name is Ejok, Sarkana, I'm from America, I don't remember that part. <laughs> and, and So we practice it for an hour. After an hour, he drives us out and he says, sweet, go ahead and get out. We're like, we've got our back. And he's like, we're like, what do you mean? He's like, you're, you're staying right here at this house, in this village. You don't speak your language. You barely speak theirs. I know four sentences at this point, And you're going to stay here for 48 hours. Okay. I'm like, sweet, at least I have my teammate with me. Nope. <laughs> Takes my teammate and drives him to another house. I don't know where that is. I don't know how far away. So I'm sitting out there in front of this mud hut with my blanket. And, of course, I'm the only... White person completely around, so all these kids come start coming up to me and they start yelling at me in their language, and I'm like, "Hi, my name is Kyle. I'm from America. What is your name?" And I do this, and more and more people start gathering until I have a semi-circle of African orkanic kids around me. <laughs> and before I know, we keep going, and then some adults start showing. Well, and then I start to panic. Because one lady starts pointing her finger at me and starts like visibly angry in her face, starts pointing at me and starts saying something. And I'm like, hi, my name is Kyle. I'm from America. Okay, and I'm getting worried at this point because I'm like, okay, how is this going to go? Well, around the corner walks some of the the guy that I did some of my language study with. His name is Sammy. He was our translator. And his face was just wide-eyed and he was like, Moral, morals. So, so, and he begins to talk to this lady. Well, within the span of about 15 to 20 minutes, apparently by saying, hi, my name is Kyle, I am from America, I had agreed to take her daughter to be my wife and move to America. So, so yeah, yeah. yeah. My, my, my poor understanding of the language, my poor understanding, just oh, sticking my foot really? right in my mouth. And like, but thanks be to God, Sammy comes around the corner and was able to help sort it all out. And he just like, stop, stop, like, more stop. And well, throughout that summer, Sammy was such a gift because one, he saved my tail in that situation. And it, and I would be of really this to say that was the only situation like that I got myself into that summer. There was at least two other instances. Yeah, we're not going there. But Sammy was a gift to me. And he was more than a simple simple translator. His aim was never to just simply mediate the language for us. His goal was to help cultivate and help me understand the culture and use the language to begin to build a relationship with people named like Benjamin and Akai and uh, Salvatore. And so he helped us understand the culture of language and how they intersect. And Sammy, ultimately, though he was my translator and helping me learn the language of Turkana, he ultimately helped me understand and train me in the ways of Turkana culture. And so this idea that, that Sammy was simply a translator, a mediator, was is not completely accurate in a lot of ways. His goal was not to hinder me, but to help me flourish that summer. And honestly, we all need a translator in our lives, someone to help us flourish, to learn how we see things about faith and how they intersect in our other day's lives, not to hinder us from accessing all of God's wisdom in every aspect of our life, but ultimately to help us flourish. And so maybe you'll be able to avoid agreeing to take a young Turkana girl back to America <laughs> and accidentally get married with her or something like that. But so today, we're going to pick up our thought in Colossians, that the gospel gives hope that brings faith that results in love. And so we're working through Colossians chapter one, and Paul is writing to this church in Colossae. And so let me, I haven't talked a ton about the the city. Let's just throw up a map real quick, just so you know where it's at. And this, this may be completely a different language to you, but Colossae is right there in the center of Asia Minor. It's in Turkey. And what you can see is some other landmarks. There's Italy, there's Rome, there's Corinth, and some of those other cities are other letters in the New Testament. And so what's important to know is that Colossae is a major through city for the Roman road. There was high trade, there was high travel, there was a lot of culture that passed through Colossae. But the interesting thing about Colossae in the time that Paul was writing this letter to him is the fact that it's actually a city on decline. The road actually that was built through Colossae began, they kind of made uh, a bypass around it to another city. And so it was once a major flourishing city, now gets to be on the decline. But there's this church community there that their faith has been made known throughout all the world as we saw in our earlier verses of Colossians. And even as we see in our verse today, it is bearing fruit and growing all over the world. And so what you see in this Colossian church is the reason Paul is writing to him because he's been brought a good word from Epaphras. But what you see this tension with in their mind in Kosha is the, the world is changing. And in the midst of this changing world, they're asking some simple questions that are ultimately life altering and paradigm shifting. And it's very natural to lift up their head and wonder hey, did we do something wrong? Our city once thriving and flourishing. And Paul has even said, we're doing really good things. But have we done something wrong? Did we miss some information? Or in other words, they begin to worry, do they have only part of the gospel? Or do they have the full thing? Is God really good? Is God in control? Is God gracious? Or is he punishing us because of this downturn? and economic flourishing. In other words, with something lost in translation. But we've already seen that Paul has praised this church because they've been faithful. And so continuing our study, going through in verse 6, Paul wants to make two basic comparisons between the Colossians' experience and the experience of Christians elsewhere all around the Mediterranean. One, the gospel has come to the Colossians just as it has to other people. And two, the gospel is transforming people and communities in Colossae just as it has in other parts of the world. So the effects of the gospel are translating the same. So God's effectiveness in enacting change is not hindered by their location. So in other words, they've not done something wrong. They've not messed up or missed out on the gospel. Actually, he says they heard it in fullness. And the reason I bring that up is because oftentimes we can look at our circumstances in life when they're not ideal, we're not, we're not quite sure if we have all the information, and we start to ask some reflective questions. When we have to make a hard decision, when someone's going through some pain and suffering, Or even when life is good, and we hear that we need Jesus, but life seems fine, we can often think, well, did I miss something? Why do I need the message that a crucified and risen Messiah has come to bring salvation to me? And that causes me to love others and bring about change in our world. And it's really about growing our heart towards a bigger vision. And that's why each and every week, if you've been here journeying with us for the last couple weeks, we've tried to highlight different missions and ministries for this exact reason, that God is the same God that is the God of the Bible. He's the same God today, and he's not just at work right here in St. Louis Creek. He's at work all over the world through different ministries and through different missions. And we have to believe that. And we have to join with God in that. And so that's why we've highlighted a mission in Kenya. That's why we've highlighted Mike Thibodeau doing the Cycling Men's Ministry. That's why we highlighted Nathan and Marie at the very beginning of the month, missionaries to Australia. And we heard one of the people that they, we celebrated baptisms last week. And one of the, the beautiful stories of their ministry in Australia was the fact of Hannah's story and giving her life to Christ. And we want to celebrate that with them because the God that is at work in Australia is the same God that's at work right here. And we need to believe that and trust that. And we talked a little bit about that trust word last week and what it just simply means to throw your full weight behind Christ. And so if you weren't, haven't quite been journeying with us up to this point, to sum up what we've been working Two and fours is that we have a hope in heaven that enables us to live out our faith every day in such a way that it causes us to love everybody (coughs) around us from different backgrounds, from different walks of life, from different stories. That's how we prove that love is how we prove our faith in Jesus And our continual, repetitive faith, our full weight behind Jesus, proves to others that we're living for an eternal life. And it's already been promised to us in Jesus. So what we're seeing God do here, he is doing all over the world. And as we see this move of God, what's going to happen is we're going to feel this natural grasp for control. Because God is a supernatural being, and he wants to break into every aspect of our lives. And sometimes we feel like we live in a closed box, that everything is nice and neat and in our control. And in reality, when we actually open that box and we say, God, you are God. You can bring change. You can bring transformation. And God starts to show up. He starts to do some things and rearrange the furniture. And as he rearranges that furniture, what we're going to be tempted to do is go, no, I like that chair there. I like that couch there. The picture on the wall goes right there. No, don't mess with my schedule. Don't mess with my relationships. And we're going to to want to grasp for control. And right now, let me just give you a contemporary example. There's a famous singer, rapper, who just came out with a really cool new album. The singer of this rapper is Kanye West. And I don't know if any of you know any throwback Kanye. I'm not about to attempt to sing it or rap it for you. But, but he's got some very popular songs. But here's what you need to know. He, he wrote some lyrics that uh, one of his song titles is, I am God. And it used to be called Jesus, synonym for Jesus. Like, he was the center. He was the focus. He is what was going to bring about this revolution. And on Thursday, I have my day's right. He released an album that says Jesus is King. And he was interviewed on Jimmy Kimmel. And when Jimmy asked him, he said, So, like, are you a Christian rapper or artist now? He says, No. I'm a Christian everything. Here's what we need to know about that. Is the temptation is going to be, well, Kanye, your experience should look exactly like this. You need to go through some training, you know, you need to do, you know, you need to, to get all everything right and order. And kind Kanye of is like, no, I'm in Jesus, I'm in, and this is how I'm gonna express it. And what's gonna happen is when we start to see God show up and rearrange the furniture and begin to enact change in our life, we're gonna to want to claim her for control and say, no, it's it's supposed to be this way. It can't be like that. It can't be that simple. And let me say it is that simple. Amen. Jesus is king. Amen. And so let's give our life to him and allow him to. To reorder things. And so, what we as Christians have to do is we have to recognize, are we making, as we try to, in some ways, it's very natural to grasp for, for control, to say, no, your experience needs to be exactly like my experience. The four steps that I took needs to be exactly like the four steps I took. And we have to go, is is that the core of the gospel? Let me just say again what that gospel is that there was a beautiful garden in Eden where humanity lived with God. Perfect. And broke. And God sent Jesus to show us what it looks like to be truly human and to reconnect God with humanity and give us access to God once again. And he does that when we put our faith and our trust in him. And he says he's going to come back and make the earth new again. And That's our hope. That all this pain, this brokenness, that's what we we long for, is that God, that this won't exist anymore when Jesus comes back and recreates the earth. And so we live as if that's true right now because Jesus is king. And so Paul, what he's doing is he's using this language of bearing fruit and growing to remind the Colossian church exactly of that story. This Genesis creation story where God commands human beings to be fruitful and increase in number and this theme is carried throughout scripture and as part of their conversion they would have heard this original garden story because they have heard of the hope of heaven and these two ideas are scriptural linked and so while it's not an exact one for one within the Old Testament form of the, the words that Paul uses it's bearing fruit and growing all over the world Paul wants to convey this message of multiplication that results in the lives of believers when they hear the gospel. So the point is this, healthy things reproduce, meaning healthy Christians will reproduce the character and priorities of Jesus into the lives of others when we live as if that story is true. And so we're going to continue to exhibit faith, hope, and love. And the way in which the news of their faith has traveled is because of their love, their ability to be present with people. And so what's important here is how we live out our belief is just as important as believing it in the first place with love. Love is a selfless love that puts presence over preference. Because people are part of this larger story. Let me say that again. Presence over preference. And that's what you're seeing with Kanye. That's what we see in other parts. Is, is let's put the, keep the first things first, the core there. The presence of people and the presence of Jesus has to be primary. Especially in our conversations. You're going to be tempted to correct behavior. You're going to be tempted, as you're connecting with people, to fix every attitude and every action. Those will come secondary. Those will come later. The first things first is your presence, living the character and priorities of Jesus, and presenting them Jesus. And when you present them Jesus through your presence in their life, then those attitudes and actions will begin to change. As they ask, why do you do this? Why are you caring so well for me? Why do you put up with all my snarkiness? When I'm short with you, why do you respond in kindness? And you can simply say, again and again, because of you. And so personally, ourselves, in order to do that and do that well, we have to come back to that gospel again and again. And so those of you who heard it last week, I know some of you are like, hey, Kyle, we weren't here last week. You've mentioned this a couple of times. I'm not trying to drag this over your head, but here's, here's what, we, what we're trying to do. is As we journey through Colossians, God is forming a church community here, trying to move us all in the same direction. And so even if you're not here each and every week, we have a podcast that you can go back and listen to old sermons. And you can listen to John and I have a midweek conversation about some specific aspects of the sermon. And that's really important so you can see how God is trying to direct and orient us because we want him to break into our lives and affect every aspect of our lives. And so here's my simple question when I bring up last one. Is were you able to remind yourself about Jesus through praying before your meal? Did you pray before your meals, and did that remind you of the hope that you had in heaven? Or, let's go back two weeks. When your feet have been hitting the floor, were you able to say, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Now, if this is the first time you hear those two practices of habits, it's all right. It's not too late to start and jump in on it. The reason we've challenged our church community to pray before meals and to say those two things is because, as Charles said earlier, we can be forgetful. We we need to be reminded that everything we are doing is supposed to be because of Jesus, the way in which we orient our lives. So those two simple things maybe are able to jog your memory, whether it's been a bad day, it's been a tough week, or even just your day's Going fine. But you remember the reason your day is going fine is not because you have it all together, but because Jesus has blessed you. And He is at work in your life. And you're able to point people to Jesus because you remember Him through these simple paths. And so, what I love about this section of Scripture is go back and look at. Verses 3 through eight again, real quick. You've got your Bible, those words. There's one word that comes out again and again. And it's this word, you. See, the idea is not that it's you completely individually practice habits that point you to Christ's faithfulness and your faith and help you exhibit love. But it's the fact that you all Or we all, that's what Paul's writing. He's saying you all, the Colossian church, are doing. And the idea can translate to us. See, when we all live with such a way that we point to Jesus, we will see fruit and we will see multiplication happen within the lives of others. We will see the character and priorities of Jesus translated into the lives of others. It's a people coming back to the gospel and appreciating its grace. That's what he says, specifically in verse 6. He says, recognize God's grace in the truth. The Colossians have true and reliable knowledge about God and his purpose for them and for the world in Christ. Paul's summary of this gospel message in the word of grace reveals how central this concept is. It's giving to others what they may not deserve. It's giving kindness in exchange for hatred or snarkiness or sarcasm. It's being patient with love instead of responding in anger. So the grace for Paul is not only God's merciful forgiveness shown to both the Jewish covenant members who have been unfaithful and these non-covenant Gentiles who have been known to God's, who have been added to God's covenant, but also that this grace transcends to the forgiveness of the unworthy. That whether though whether you have status or prestige, whether your background is in the church or not of the church, you can be transformed from someone who is broken and a sinner and be called a saint. Which means, not someone who is perfect and who is necessarily morally superior, but as someone who is seen perfect and is seen as God's child through the eyes of Jesus. So, the gospel is authenticated not by its truth, nor by only its power in people's lives, but from both working in tandem. And so without transformation, people won't believe its truth. And so the gospel is exerting its power widely. If we have that map, let's throw that back up there for a second. What's happening is this one small city, because of their faith that's rooted in hope, and their love for the community, Their love in the church is becoming known all over the world. And Paul doesn't want to just simply point out the gospel's power in the place of Colossians. But specifically on the pathway it took so that the Colossians' faith is known throughout the world. So it's not just, yes, Colossians, you're doing a great job. Keep it up. But it's also as Reminding them of how it got to be that way in the first place. This is why Paul credits Epaphras. This is why here in this opening Thanksgiving, he says, listen, Epaphras has been a faithful minister. I discipled Epaphras. I showed him what this hope, what this faith, what this love looks like. And he showed that to you. And now look, it's having an effect all over the world. And so Epaphras took the life and teachings of Jesus and begin to spiritually form this church. He's translating it. He's making it known to the Colossians, just like Sammy did with me. He's helping them flourish. And that's what God wants to see happen here in our church. He wants Generations Church to flourish. He wants the everyday person to be able to go to where they live, work, and play and bring about flourishing. And act change because they have faith and they live out love and it's already a hope that's secured for them in heaven. And so the gospel was translated to the Colossians successfully and they didn't miss anything. And Paul says that Epaphras reveals their love in the spirit. So we don't want to just reduce it to individual transformation, but as the whole church working together to expand the family of God. That's why we say here often, it doesn't matter what your background, whether you're you're black, white, Asian, Hispanic, whether you're you're old or you're young, whether you're male or female, gay or straight, it it doesn't matter your background and where you come from. What matters is if you have been afforded the opportunity to be invited and included within God's family because of Jesus. And we will see healthy multiplication right here in our community and in Vancouver when everyone from every background participates in the life of the church. So let me help bring this extremely practical and help you visualize this, how this translates here in my So I got got a chart up here with some circles. Everyone go ahead and flip on the back of those teaching notes and draw these circles. We're going to do a little exercise together. And the reason why is because I talked about this flourishing. How you you bring about faith, hope, and love, both in your own life and then into the lives of others. And so what we're going to do is we're going to write some names in these circles. Because we don't just want to leave this in theory. Of, yeah, we want to see God work all over our community, through our church, in our church, and in here. But how are we actually going to make that happen? It's through the everyday person, translating the gospel to those around them. And so, those three top circles. Here's what I want you to think about. If you are a believer in the room, I want you to think of three non-Christian friends who are in your life to fill those circles. Now here's, as we fill these in, if you don't have someone, leave that circle blank. And now, what I want you to do is I want you to pray for God to fill that circle. For for him to bring someone to you in your life. So think of three, if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, if you're someone who said yes to following Jesus, I want you to put three non-Christians in your life. Now if you're a non-Christian in the room, I've not left you out. What I want you to do is I want you to think about something. You are here attending church this morning. And you're not yet a follower of Jesus, but you're considering what it looks like to be a part of it. There are three people in your life who have not even considered it. That's who I want you to write the, those names in those three circles. People who have not even considered it. So, as you're thinking, so again, if you're not a non Christian here in this room, who are three people who have not even considered it that you could say, hey, there's this church that I went to, and the lead pastor is a little crazy. Why don't you, why don't you come? I got one shot right. okay, uh, a little crazy. A little, we did some interesting stuff. Why don't, why don't you come with me and see, see what's happening here? That's for that. The next two circles. Who are two newer believers that you in your life? So wherever you're at in your faith journey, wherever you're at, who are two people who are newer to the faith in your life? And I want you to write those names there. And in the last circle, the very bottom one, I want you to write someone who is older in the faith than you. Now again, this, these circles are not predicated on age. They're not like numerical age. So you, for the last one, on the last circle, you need to have someone who is, who is way older than you. That's not the case. Someone who is more, who's been in their faith journey just simply longer than you. And again, if you don't have a name for those circles, I want you to pray about whose name that can be. Because see, here's what happens, and why Paul brings us out to the Colossian church. The reason they've been so successful and bearing fruit throughout all over the world is because they have people in their life who don't know Jesus, who are just starting to follow Jesus, but they also have people who are older in the faith in their life who are mentoring them. Paul is mentoring the disciple of Epaphras and Epaphras to this Colossian church. And so here's what I want you to do with the names on these circles. As I want you to begin to pray about these names. And as you think about it, even, even if you're a little uncertain, like, oh, I've got these names on, I'm not sure what to do. Here's what I would like you to do. Just simply pray for the names on your circles. So pray for this second thing I'd like you to do is I'd like you to invite them out for coffee or for dinner or just to get together and to catch up and to ask them one simple question. How receptive are you to spiritual things? How receptive are you to connecting with the new church? If you ask that, that question, you may get some people who are like, man, I'm not curious. I'm not open whatsoever. It's right. You go back to the first one. You begin to pray. You ask God to intercede in the Word. You begin to persevere, and again, and again, and again. And here's what happens when a church of people begin to intentionally look at names on a card as people who they want to see part of the thing. We start to see the word can't be contained or can't be controlled because what happened last week as some people gave their life to jesus and we celebrated baptism we'll start to see more people and what happens as more people trust and follow jesus the community begins to change because then you start to see a church live out faith and love that's unparalleled to the watching world you start to see a community of people who bear one another's burdens who pay rent when someone needs rent? Who help someone fix a car when someone's car needs fixed? And you start to see a level of love that's translated that the watching world gets. Yeah, I'm all for that. I want someone like that in my life. How do I get that? And what you have the opportunity and there to do to say, we love to have in because of Jesus. We want to do this, do this so well that generations to come will know the name of the Lord and what He does. And so, what this is do these circles? What they're going to do is they're going to challenge some of you, because some of you have pulled out and you stopped trying to learn the language and bring the gospel to people. This is something we're actually going to talk about very practically on our podcast this week. But what we need is a church of people who are willing to say. Both young believers, non-believers, and maturing believers to go, let me give you an example. Someone has said, hey, you throw this word a lot, say gospel, or we sing this word in the song reconciliation. What does that actually mean? We need that question in the life of our church. We use the word restoration, or we use the word, I just blanked on it. But, the, you know, we, we say a word in our song. God, what does that actually mean? I, we don't use that in everyday language. We need that question from a newer Christian, for that fresh perspective, so we can define that, done, define that well, so that we can bring the gospel, so we can share Jesus and make it affect every aspect of our life. And so we may have people who go, I have no idea what it means by actually loving and bearing with someone. I don't have a lot of close friends. I don't know what it looks like to offer up my services to another. I'm not sure how. And some of you who do this and do this well, you can come alongside of those who don't do well and say, yeah, the ability to love isn't predicated on age. It's a consistency with Christ-likeness and a willingness to put yourself out there and care for others tangibly. So Paul is writing this letter to remind these Christians that the way of Jesus is brought to them by a and it's what they need in their everyday lives. So we need generations of Christians in our homes, at coffee shops, and in our workplaces to share and explain what it looks like to follow Jesus. And we get there by revisiting Jesus ourselves through explaining and showing the gospel to those who are not yet following Jesus being encouraged by believers, and being mentored by those who are a few steps further in the journey. It's not about one person doing one thing, or one church doing one thing. It's about people following Jesus, helping others follow Jesus, and helping them help others follow Jesus. So we do this together. The mystery is made known to others through fruitful ministries that are fostered by fruitful fruitful people translate the way of Jesus in everyday aspects of their lives by identifying people who they can be present with and help communicate the way of Jesus to. let's pray Father we are just so thankful uh, for your love and for your grace thankful that someone brought the gospel to us someone shared with us Jesus. Someone invited us to this gathering this morning. I thank you that you made a way for us in Jesus. Father, I I pray that we be a church that takes those circles and the names in those circles very seriously. That we can be challenged to maybe form a new relationship or to strengthen an old one so that We can see more and more people trust and follow Jesus because he gives us the best way to be human. I thank you that you have made that mystery known to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.